0: Welcome to the Future of Email. I'm Dr. Matthew Dunn, founder and CEO of Campaign Genius. We help email platforms grow by giving their customers the power of real-time visual media in their email marketing. We believe that email is the critical civil media channel today for business and commerce. This podcast features the leading innovators in email marketing. Stick around to the end. I'll reveal how you can be our next guest on the Cutting Edge Podcast Future of email. Let's go. Welcome, everyone. This is Dr. Matthew Dunn, host of The Future of Email Marketing. And I'm delighted finally to have as my guest today, Chris Marriott, who is the president and founder of Email Connect. Chris, welcome. It's so nice to to get you live and one to one on this conversation.
1: It's great to be here. And uh, thank you for your patience with my uh, continued (laughs) postponement of this. So it is great to finally be here. You know, is it easier or harder, you know,
0: pandemic, everyone working from whatever to arrange stuff like this? It seems like logistics are harder than they, than they used to be when everyone was in an office. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I don't
1: know. You know, that I mean, I, I think the biggest change for me has been um my willingness to use video uh calls now. Oh, and, really? You know, Were and, you less uh, so before? Oh, I never did. I I, oh, I interesting. I, Absolutely, had never done a video. I hated Skype. I, I <laughs> you know, my company, I for my company, we used file sharing, web sharing,
0: and, yeah, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah,
1: but but without, it didn't have any video capabilities. But well, you know, a month into the pandemic and and everyone working from home, uh, yeah. you know, I, I dropped that account and got a Zoom account, and yeah. Uh, yeah. and and now I'm very comfortable. Now it almost feels weird, and, and I know this is the future of email, not the future of video conferencing, but yeah. now it almost feels weird to have just a phone conversation with somebody
0: interesting i was i was i was chatting with uh, my 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 sister (laughs) and and she said you know what i still prefer phone calls and i and i said i actually i i get that there's a there's distractions and maybe that's if you know someone that well um I meant to say though, and 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 especially for people who are listening who don't who don't get to watch us hand wave and make faces and stuff like that. I've had the privilege of seeing Chris live a few times at conferences, and while he's great on video, there's there's definitely uh, there's definitely a live thing that's fantastic as well. Do you miss that?
1: I do. I do. I, I that is you know, because I've done some virtual conference uh presentations over the years, yeah. the past years, you know, and got a couple coming up, but I mean, it, it, you know, it, it's a cliche, but that doesn't mean it's not true. You connect with your audience, whether you're playing music or whether you're speaking yep. and you yep. feed off that energy and you, you just yeah. can't, you know, speaking to a hundred disconnected people that are out in the ether, <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it just, it just doesn't. Yeah. I, I do miss it. And that's one thing I will be, uh, most happy to get back
0: to, to it when to, this is all get, yeah get back to when you go back and we'll get to we'll get to email one of these one of these uh minutes yeah. but when you email. go back do you, do you think you'll keep doing more video conferencing than
1: you did before oh yeah I, I i will never i mean one of the things i like about it is as i move my hands around on the video <laughs> is, oh, there's nothing on my head there's nothing yeah. in my hands yeah yeah and and you know i, I so you know, you know, I, I holding a phone now just seems very onerous and even putting in an earpiece. You know, anytime somebody yeah. calls and I'm scrambling to get the ear, either the Bluetooth in or the landline in, you know, half the time people have hung up before I do that. And, and <laughs> you know, before I get that in and get everything set up. So, the, you know, I think I think, you know, video conferencing is it for me, at least, is here for, for it, good. Yeah, and for the, and again, for I think enough. it's a good thing. I, I think people have gotten used to it. And. You know, it, it is nice to see who you're talking to. Yeah, yes,
0: yes, yeah, and and you know the the EQ the EQ definitely has 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 a whole bunch of additional stuff to work with, and you can see someone's face, gestures, expression, and and stuff like that. The thing that I've noticed about phone calls, and mean, it's probably true before, but it's more true now that video conferencing is so prevalent. Is when someone calls, I'm I'm with you. Holding it up to my ear just seems uh, exhausting, yeah. <laughs> but I end up. Pacing around uh, when I'm on the phone because they don't have that you know I don't have that engagement channel of of the face to face that uh, that we're getting on Zoom and things like Actually, that.
1: That's a great observation because because I'm sort of the same. I'll, when I when you know when I'm on the cell, I'll put the cell in my pocket. Yeah. And and walk around, right. and, and <laughs> walk you're around. right. You can't do that when you're on a video call, <laughs> Not unless which, you have a camera crew behind you.
0: <laughs> which which you know, back to the back to can't wait to get back on stage. I have to say the thing that I that irks me about video conferencing. It's fine. I've got my butt in a Herman Miller chair. I'm all comfortable, but it doesn't have the same energy as when you're standing right. on stage with a live audience. And yeah, I pace on stage, but. Yeah, the 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 engagement is definitely different. It's sort of more focused in frontal and stuff like that. Um, yeah, you get the shared physical reference in the room and stuff like that. Anyway, anyway, well, I'm sure you're rocking video conference. I didn't mention it. I should have mentioned it up front. But uh, Chris and his partner Paul have a fantastic and long-running podcast called Email Geeks Drinking Coffee. Who's your latest guest on that? By the way,
1: uh, next week we have uh, Tim Watson. Um, oh terrific terrific from the uk and this week we had uh samantha i'm gonna pronounce her last name correct samantha iodice
0: this i've got samantha coming on in a week or
1: two yay there you go i mean she's she's a great guest and and this season uh we you know and i love the uh, love the pretense of seasons but but (laughs) they're less this season which is season five um We've been focusing on we we kind of went back to our roots because as you said, it's email geeks. It's actually email geeks at home drinking coffee. Home drinking coffee, that's true. We have to change that eventually, but uh when everybody's back at work. But um, you know, we early on in the the, you know, you know, very quickly got a little bored of talking about email every Mm -hmm. week. And and so we branched out and started to, you know, we talked to authors and and, um people uh who created shows on Netflix and, and CEOs and um, love that. And then we felt though, you know, this season we said, we, we need to kind of return to our roots. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause there is, particularly because there's not a, there's not a archive mm-hmm. of email historical knowledge. I mean, you and I have been in the business a while or around the business a while, at least mm-hmm. I have. Mm-hmm. And, you know, th- there's, th- there's such turnover, particularly on the brand side uh, of, of, of people who are doing email marketing that, there's a whole there's a whole bunch of you know knowledge about where we came from as an industry yeah. that is retiring or 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 moving on and and so we really we, we call this season the founders series nice um because we really and and, and we sort of said to, our, said to ourselves if you know we're not going to talk to anybody who hasn't been in email marketing since before 2010 because we wanted to get people's yeah. perspective yeah. on what's changed and yeah. and so that at least we have you know, in a small way, some archive of people, you know, we had Lauren McDonald on who's, who's not even in email any longer. Um, Right. Right. And but you know, who, again, you know, who's one of the guys that, that have been around forever. And, you know, so, you know, we feel good that we've been capturing some of those stories and, and perspectives on an industry that, you know, people who are just getting into it today or who have gotten into it in the past five years, even, Mm -hmm. you know, have no idea of, from what humble roots this industry rose.
0: <laughs> well, you, you you gave me the perfect perfect segue there to to ask about your path into email uh, in email marketing as an industry.
1: That's an interesting story. Um, and and you know I always joke. You know, I, if anyone had ever told me that that's what <laughs> I'd be known for at this yeah. point in my career, yeah, uh, I don't know whether I would have cringed. Uh, or just said that's impossible. But um, I got into digital marketing very, very early uh, in in the '90s and coming out of traditional advertising. And so I was a digital, you know, and I was doing website development and and online advertising. And they ended up going to this company that that had what it's called dynamic marketing environment was its product, and hmm. it was email to landing pages okay. uh, was sort of the product. Hmm. But they didn't think of the, it, it wasn't until I left there and went to my next company, which was um, uh, Digital Impact, that I realized it had been an ESP, but it wasn't calling itself an ESP. It was right. trying to, it, and and so they never went anywhere. I mean, huh. they, you know, they had a really big client in IBM, but none of us really knew how to talk. It was incredibly hard to sell because Email to landing page to dynamic marketing environment. You know, had we said, "Oh, we're an ESP," I think it would have been a tremendously successful company because the technology was good and it was on. It was an on-premise solution, uh, which is why IBM loved it.
0: I I, yeah, on-prem. Let's let's pick on that for a second before we uh, go continue to the chronology of your career, because because you said email plus landing page, and what strikes me is that we're still grappling with the interface between those two things now. Right. Like that's, that's the key handoff point. That's what you want the traffic to do most of the time, et cetera, et cetera. And they're still mostly separate things. Your ESP, your marketing cloud, your MarTech, whatever, one solution, your landing pages, website management, all that stuff, eh, another solution. You got this weird gulf between the two of
1: them. Comments? Yeah, no, that, that is, it is interesting, and and, well, and you think back then. I mean, we we are talking in two thousand, you know, 2000, um, 2001 one, two thousand two. You know, you had plain text emails, so right, you, know, you weren't there, there. weren't pretty pictures, there weren't anything. It, it was it looked like a any other email, business email. Yeah. So until you got them to a landing page, you didn't really have the option to have any sizzle in it. Yeah. And 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 to your point, I mean, that was how another thing. It didn't even occur to us. That the email should do the selling. And what occurred to us was the email should do the driving to the landing page that did yeah. the selling. Yeah, and yeah. you know it was funny. And we, we, one of our clients was Mastercard, and oh. uh, yeah, no, we had some very big. Cl- again, IBM used that email platform well into the 2000s because wow. again they wanted they wanted something on premise, and and we built them an instance of it mm-hmm. on premise, mm-hmm. and and it wasn't until they bought Silverpop. Right. I know here, are kids at home. Here's here's some history. <laughs> they bought silver popping around 2010. Yeah. It wasn't until then that they actually allowed divisions to send email from you know from wow. you know a, a, a software as a service solution. Yeah. Um, wow. But they they were still I think probably cranking out a lot of it on that thing oh, we set up around 2002 wow. 2003. But so Mastercard was one of our competitors. And, and so, I mean, was one of our clients and somebody else in there was this company called Digital Impact. And I wasn't quite sure what they did any more than I was sure what we did at my company. <laughs> but so, so, so I'm looking at, so, so I see an opportunity uh, at a company because remember I'm an agency guy. I, I started from advertising and and I see an ad or, or, or posting for a job to run the New York office of Digital Impact. They, they were expanding it And they wanted and they were looking for sort of an agency mindset that, you know, they wanted people that, you know, with the service oriented approach that were comfortable with creative, comfortable with. So I said, that sounds really good. Oh, and that's that company that's been at MasterCard that's been that's been taking business from us. Uh Um, Sounds like a good opportunity. So that's really that's the first time I actually took a job where I knowingly said, I'm doing email marketing. And OK, and, you know, then Axiom bought them five months later. Oh, that's
0: how you—that's how you learned. I knew you were at Axiom. I
1: wasn't sure what the path
0: yeah. was to Axiom. Okay.
1: Yeah, that was the first wave of consolidations. I mean, not all the MSPs were buying ESPs. You know, yeah, that was the time when when Cheetah was bought by Experian, Bigfoot mm-hmm. was bought by Epsilon, um, Hart Hanks even bought somebody, Merkel bought somebody. Oh wow! Uh, and Axiom bought Digital Impact, and and Info Group bought Yesmail, no. and suddenly all the top ESPs of the time were now part of these huge global. Companies, you know, database companies that, that no one had ever heard of uh, outside of the industry, but right, huh?
0: Interesting. And in Axiom, like that, got to be that's a big scale operation. At least it was. It was when you were
1: there for sure. Oh, I, I loved it. I, I loved yeah. working for Charles Morgan. I, I, I mean, I, I had some of the best years of my career were working working at Axiom, and, and I got some unbelievably great opportunities. Uh, you know, eventually. I, I, you know, I built their global agency services team. I helped them make acquisitions in Australia uh, for, for the email team. Wow. And I traveled the globe on their behalf, um, built out our office in Singapore, uh, expanded uh, into uh, uh, Poland for uh, campaign production. So it was a great learning experience. It was a fantastic company back in the day. And, you know, some of the best people that, and many of them are, in the diaspora is you know many of the people that worked with me and for me back then yeah. are are yeah. not at axiom because unfortunately they're they 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 are out of the email business now um but are still playing major roles in the email industry at various companies around the globe and and uh so you know again I've a lot of good memories about my time there one of the things is one of
0: the things that always strikes me about email <laughs> you know email's an industry which we're talking about is that Everyone outside China, everyone uses their email. Uh but the whole <laughs> the whole infrastructure and ecosystem of companies and services and providers involved in getting something, you know, in my inbox on a regular basis is just it's 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 like it's landscape if you don't do this for a living. It's like, yeah, I must be a machine somewhere doing that. And they have no idea how vast it is and how complicated yeah. it is. Wow. And you got a chance to see that kind of around the world, as you were saying at Axiom.
1: Yeah, and and, and, it, and you're right. I mean, you know, the, the core companies and then the, 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 the environment, you know, the companies that are in the same space doing other things. I mean, I, I started saying this about, God, you know, that's when you realize how old you are. I started saying this about 12 <laughs> years ago, that that. You know, from my perspective, again, having been in the digital industry since the earliest day, I mean, you know, I built, you know, when I when I worked for um Think New Ideas back in the day, run by Adam Curry, among uh who was a guest on our podcast. Uh the MTV again, Kids at home. Adam Curry used to be an MTV DJ. Yes. Um, and is now what the Pod Father. He's the guy who invented podcasting. We wouldn't be here. Adam Curry actually um was the guy who really came up with the podcast concept. Um, and, and the name Pod even came from the the iPod that was the, the the Apple device so again a little bit of podcasting history wow but, uh, um, anyway you know when I was at Think New Ideas we actually you know we were building the first websites brands like Heinz ever had or Avon ever had yeah, yeah. and I mean that's how far back you know I go and what I really saw happening was uh, and, and identified it sort of like two thousand eight two thousand nine was that up until that time a company's sort of digital universe revolved around its website Mm -hmm. and, and everything sort of went to support the website. And, Mm -hmm. and that, but I really thought that there was a shift around 2008, 2009, where, where suddenly actually the email program became the center of the digital universe for companies and the website just being one of, one of the things that supported email marketing. It was where you went when you hit it when you clicked on a link on an email. An it was providing data back to the email or the ESP uh, to make you know it's for uh, you know uh, custom emails. Um, it was a source of massive data, and you know I still believe that 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 email is is the center of the digital universe for a lot of organizations, and or at least for the ones. That are most successful that recognize that. Right. Uh, again, it doesn't mean you, you you can't have an email program without a website. Um, but nor can you have a website really without an email program, uh, mm-hmm. if you think about it any uh, you can't do that any longer. So, you know, we could argue all day whether I was whether I was, you know, right or wrong about what's the center of the universe, but the importance of email to to digital marketing and to marketing in, in general can't has consistently been underestimated, but can't Agreed. really Agreed. shouldn't be and can't be because. It's the pillar.
0: Well, and at least at least uh, partial validation <laughs> of your thesis. And I, I, it's really interesting. I didn't I didn't realize the shift was that relatively late. You know, two thousand eight, two thousand nine, as you said. But if uh, you know if you've got a company that's looking to acquire another company, the value put on their website is a shadow of the value put on their email list usually.
1: Yeah, that's a great observation. I'm going to steal yeah. that.
0: Yeah, um, but like that's you, a great. You're right. Websites come and go because they're not they're not people customers prospects relationships it's just you know it's pages and technology and the value of the email really is that you know is that relationship recognition you know mutual
1: history that you're building yep. up with the and people. the permission right i mean and the you're right i mean big deal. your email list is a is an asset that that towers yes. over any anything else you you've got in your digital uh, quiver. I mean, as you said, website, nobody's buying a company because they got a good looking website. The first thing you could do is throw it away, as a matter of fact. Exactly. Because you you're <laughs> going to have to rebrand it. Yeah, your you're
0: going to have to rebrand it anyway. And pages don't fit. And, uh, we don't talk about it that way. And changes the terms and all exactly. that stuff. And uh, I think of the number of times I've redone company websites with, you know, it's like, doesn't look the same. A website is a process. It's not a
1: product because um, it's never yeah, done. Good point. Right, right. It sort of never ends. I mean, yeah, once once you put up a website it's a, it's a work in progress. It, yeah. it the job's never done. Yeah, yeah, not,
0: completely never done. Now, you've got a particular uh breadth in terms of view on this because in addition to being sort of inside the inside the beast at Axiom, then you moved on into the to the research space, correct,
1: after yeah. that? Yeah, well, How about I, that a bit? So David Daniels um had been again historical here. Um he'd been um really one of the first email analysts in, in in, yeah. in, 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 you know, he had started at Jupiter again, wow. that goes way back Jupiter. I mean, <laughs> oh, I remember when yeah. they, the reports were delivered on paper. Yes. And I, 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 I had three ring binders with Jupiter reports for gosh, sake. And, mm-hmm. um, and David had been one of the early analysts at Jupiter. Um, and then they got bought by Forrester and he became sort of the, their email analyst guy. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, was the guy and and knew more about the landscape than anybody uh, around by far, and Axiom, uh, my boss there, Tim Soother, um, was putting on a series of client events, and they had me as the inside guy giving this presentation uh, 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 to clients on on my views of of digital marketing, and 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 they brought in David as the as sort of the outside speaker. And, and, and everyone knew David Daniels. So, you know, he was he was a draw to clients that didn't know Chris Marriott at Axiom. Um, and so David and I got to know each other over several events. And so when I left Axiom around 2011, you know, I approached David and, and, and said, and he by then had started, he'd left Forrester and started a company called The Relevancy Group, which was a real boutique uh, consultancy analyst. Um, but he worked with all the vendors. Uh, he was still working... Uh, there was, n- there was probably not a vendor that uh, of any, any, you know, uh, size that wasn't a client to his. Okay. Um, yeah. you know, we like from A to Z, what do we say from, from Adobe to Zeta <laughs> and, uh, and everybody in between.
0: Right.
1: And, um, and I went to him and I, and I said, I, cause this idea had been brewing in my mind because I'd seen email. Um, I, I'd seen the RFP process steadily evolve while I was at Axiom. In the early days it was like, um, you know, we're doing an RFP because we think we're paying too much and we hate our vendor. And, and you know, so my response was, you'll love my team and I'll cut your cost. And that's how you won business. And over time, though, the, that selection process became a little bit more complex than can you cut my costs and do you have a better team? And the platforms became more complex mm-hmm. and the decision-making process became harder. And, and, and for brands to keep up with uh, again, you had new players coming in like Exact Target and and Responses, uh, so the, so the mark the vendor landscape was expanding, and I, I just saw clients begin to really it, it became impossible for them to sort of make a, a, an objective decision about which ESP to pick. They were it was luck if they got the right one just because they didn't have the tools to evaluate. Right, and so I went to David and said, "Listen, you know, you know more about platforms than, than anybody on the planet." Um, You know, right now your business is really on the vendor side. You know, I think there's an opportunity here to create another side of your business Mm -hmm. where we go to the, you know, where we offer brands the opportunity to hire us to help them run their RFPs, a vendor Mm -hmm. selection consultancy. And, you know, help them, you know, give them the tools. I, I said, David, we don't want to be Forrester and Telewood to pick. We want to be relevancy group that gives them the tools and the advice and the process so that they can come to the conclusion as to who would be the best partner for them. So in, in contrast,
0: let's say to a, you know, Forrester or is trying to make an absolute determination of who goes in the upper right and who goes in the middle. Your job there is to say, you like, who's the upper right for your particular business and circumstances and program?
1: Exactly. Exactly, Matt. That's exactly right. I mean, we did you know, we did our relevancy ring for a couple of years where we were kind of doing that. You got to do that. Then we realized <laughs> that we, you know, relevancy ring, that was our magic quadrant. You, yeah. um, but you know, we realized exactly that, that that there really isn't a best vendor. There, there, it, There's a best vendor for you. Best for you. The brand. Yeah. 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 And yeah. then our process was designed to get to that point. And, nice. And once we stopped even trying to stack right the vendors ourselves, yeah. The, that process really could blossom because – you know if you bring you know forrester i know I, I think works on some rfp processes but if you hire forrester to give you advice in vendor selection they have to recommend somebody who finished in their in, in their top category yeah, where's your otherwise yeah. otherwise they're delegitimizing their entire yeah, process yeah, so yeah, yeah. going in with forrester you know they're gonna it, it, they're gonna tell you to pick one of the top six well Maybe one of the top six isn't the right one for you, but right, that's right. what you're going to be limited to. And or maybe
0: maybe there's a new guy who hasn't had time, or frankly, the budget to, to right. get into the, the top six, which is not an inexpensive proposition, especially. Exactly.
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> we could do a whole half hour on that, but oh we are probably get a little bit of trouble too.
0: <laughs> <laughs> don't get me wrong. I love Gardner's reports.
1: <laughs> Although they don't cover
0: the email space. From what I no, they never.
1: No, you know, Mm. back in the day, it was it was like Forrester was for marketers, Mm. uh, the CMO, and and Gartner was for the CTO. Uh,
0: Yeah, the and I still think that that's true to a large degree. Yeah, I think so. I I think so as well. And I I I do I do learn from uh, uh, I do learn from Forrester's coverage in the you know email marketing uh, sector when I get a chance to
1: read it. So uh, so still value there. I mean, here's here's karma or timing is everything or while David and I are discussing this and he thinks it's a good idea. And we're talking about the logistics. Mm -hmm. He gets an email from Ryan Deutsch uh, at Sears Holdings, who says, we're going to do an RFP. Do you know anybody who can assist us in it? Wow. And I knew Ryan very well as well. Ryan and I were friends, though he didn't know that I was talking to David about this. And it was like, not only do we have a client, but it's Sears, Kmart, Land's End, all in one Woof. doing a massive RFP. Yeah. Man. And that's when we kicked off the business.
0: Oh wow. Nice way to start, yeah. huh?
1: Yeah. I mean, nice. but it was, I mean, the timing of just you, you know, sometimes <laughs> you just shake your head and go, how 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 does it work out just so cleanly?
0: Yeah, I mean, RFP, th- that's a that's a very particular kind of consultative expertise. Can you, I mean, which you, which you've got, I think you've used the king of RSPs, uh to be blunt in this space.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a niche. It's a niche. All right.
0: Well, cause you have to have, you have to have knowledge and the, and the ability to learn on both sides of that equation. Don't you? Yeah. Uh, well, the, well, you have to
1: know, you have to know the vendors, mm-hmm. you know, inside and out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, fortunately over the years, um, even when David and I split the company mm-hmm. on very good terms, um, you know, by then I would have gotten to know the vendors as well. And, and I thank David, you know, for getting me into the vendor world. I wouldn't have my business today without David Daniels, you know, we're having worked with him f- over about five years of time, four years nice. of time. Nice. But you also have to know how to run an RFP. You're right. I mean, you have to know what are the steps that you need to take? How do you go from eight to four to two to one?
0: Yeah.
1: You also have to know how to negotiate a good deal. You have to know what, you know, what, what, you know, and that was one of the interesting things. When we started this, I, I never, you know, I thought the, the 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 benefit was, hey, RFPs are a lot of work. Um, and sometimes you make the wrong decision. Let us come in, we'll we'll do, you know, we have project managers that'll run it for you and we will manage the you know, the 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 you know the blocking and tackling of it. We'll bring expertise and we'll help you give you the tools to make sure that you make a very informed decision. Right. But we also realized. Or I realized after you know a couple of years that we had seen probably more pricing information. Oh, right. Than yeah. than a procurement person uh at any major brand sees in a career over sure. you know for email marketing. Sure. That we really had a bet because we were there until the very bitter end. We not only got the the pitch pricing, but we got the deal pricing. Right, and, right. And I realized then that that. You know, we could guarantee brands the best possible pricing because not only did we know where the bottom was in terms of caught pricing, yeah, the vendors knew we knew that, yeah. So there was no, you didn't have to do the dance,
0: yeah. You
1: know what? And so over time, I really found that you know that the the know you're getting the best price possible when you work with us was, was became a very part compelling part of our our pitch. Um, I mean, I have ten years. Of data. I mean, yeah. We track, I Unpricing. mean, I, 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 I have an Excel guru and, and we and we've just tracked all these different, you know, services costs, CPM costs, migration costs. Yeah. And it's really an interesting, you know, look at how how pricing has evolved, both in terms of where it's decreased, but but where vendors have gotten, you know. Kg, you know they, they, you know how they've dealt with declining CPMS by adding new costs that didn't exist before.
0: Mm, Right, right. And you said on a on a call, I think a couple of weeks ago that I happened to be on that that straight CPM pricing is not necessarily the deciding factor these days.
1: No, I mean pricing. I I think pricing in general, why you know, it is not a huge determining factor. Um, Most of the ESPs will kind of be in the same. At least in our RFPs, because again, I oh, think mark. they they know we know pricing. So, mm-hmm. you know, we, we don't even look for pricing until we get to the final four. I, I tell our oh, clients, okay, interesting. We're, we're not going to do a cut down based solely on pricing. Let's let's okay. do the first cut down based on who best fits your requirements. Yeah. Then we'll look at price. Okay. And and so we look at price when we get to the final four, and you know. I think I said on the call. I mean, there hasn't been a single RFP we've managed where pricing was the driving factor. And of course, it's important. And we, could get, of course, we get our clients good pricing. But you know, I have to hand it to our clients. They've they've most you know they've all made the decision based on what platform best met their needs and trusted us to get them the pricing that 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 they deserve. Right. And you know, what you know, it hasn't been successful. I'm not aware of any of our uh, clients having moved platforms since, wow. you know, going wow. back, you know, eight, nine years, they're wow. still, yeah, I think there's one great. that changed platforms. Um, and, and I think, and that was because, you know, the typical new people came in and wanted to look around, but, right, right, right. you know, I was talking to a, a vendor president today and we were talking about, and I won't name it, but, a, but a, he, he said, you might want to reach out to retailer XYZ. Mm-hmm. Um, because I hear they're doing an RFP, and I said, "Well, didn't they just do an RFP?" and and he said, "Yeah, but <laughs> you know, three years ago, but apparently it didn't stick." Ooh, and yeah. you know, and and he said to me, he said, "You know, what you need to do is reach out to them and say you're going to pick them the vendor for the next ten years, not for the for you know, not someone who's going to be yeah. you know for one contract cycle." And he and he you know, and that was you know, I said, you know, that's a that's a great pitch. It's Thank you. Pitch. And, but <laughs> really good but as I thought about it, it's true. Again, our clients don't. Don't regret their decision because right. it's been an incredibly thoughtful process that that they've done all the way through to the fi- the sandbox and 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 so you know they really know they're picking the right partner and and again they in in our cases we've been lucky that they all have been very happy with their choices.
0: You must have to force their force their hands at least in many cases to to actually be crisp about their their own needs and requirements, not just vendor comparisons.
1: Yeah. Well, and you know, part of what we do is, you know, I, I say we're not order takers. You know, we don't just go right. in and say, what do you want? Right. Because again, I don't expect the brands to know what they don't know and 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 you know uh, and what's changed in the marketplace and, and what new features and functionality are available to them. So you know, we try to tease out of them. You know, what ifs? What if you could do this? What if you could mm-hmm, do that? Mm-hmm. And and brands are very. I mean, brands see the value in that. And then the the way our process works, without going into into boring detail, is you know we'll we'll set up the requirements. Our RFPs are very simple Excel spreadsheet requirements lists and use cases. You know, they're not you're not you know colorful brochures or or and we don't want colorful brochures from the vendors either. We say no. You, Anything you attach to this, we're not going to look at and our clients are going to look at. But, you know, we'll get those requirements documents back, you know, 250, 350. And then we lay each vendor response side by side, with the requirement and, and you know, eight vendor responses side by side. Wow. And, and our clients and we go through and score each yeah. and every requirement in each yeah. and every vendor response. And is it backbreaking? Yes. Is it painful and tedious? Yes. But- <laughs> It's the only way you can compare vendors. Pretty I mean, darn objective. Because you 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 know, so many times you'll read one response, and then you'll read another vendor's response. And even if it's even if the RFP is written well, you don't remember what that vendor said compared to this vendor. Our process forces you to look at each and every vendor answer to each and every vendor requirement, and score them not only how how well they meet the requirement, but how well they do it against the other vendors.
0: Right, right. So you you really do end up. Comparing everyone on the same terms, which is no mean feat.
1: And we'd same thing with our pricing. I mean, we learned early on, I mean, we were driven crazy by, you know, when we'd ask vendors for pricing, they'd all have different yeah. pricing sheets yeah. and, and formats. And yeah. it was very, you know, opaque yeah. uh, trying to figure out what what they cost. So we said, you know, screw this. We t- we created our own, uh, you know, we call it the common pricing template. And mm-hmm. and we have every possible thing that we've seen vendors charge wow. for. Wow. And, and we say, put your pricing in here. Yeah. And, and, and then we lay those side by side by side and, you know, roll them up over three year, what it would look like over three years, two years, one year. And, and, you know, vendors can toggle the number of F- FTEs they think they might need. Cause you know, again, we just say, what are your hourly rates? I don't want to know how many hours you think the client needs. Cause nobody can know that at this point in pricing, just tell me yeah. what your hourly rates sure. are for sure, and we'll toggle it. yeah, and we'll toggle the email volume. Right. But, you know, so our clients, again, get a very good snapshot of, of them side by side. And and you really know, you know, they, again, they, they can tell who's the most expensive, who's least expensive. And, you know, and we do that mainly at that point, even just to say, is somebody so expensive that we ought to just drop them out of the competition? Mm. Yeah. yeah. That's never happened. Usually it's the other way around. Somebody's so cheap that we go, oh, are they trying to buy share? <laughs> you know, that that yeah. nervous. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. You get to Yeah. You got to watch that. Yeah. So, uh, common pricing, mate. That that's got to evolve as well. I'm wondering if you can talk to how you've seen how you've seen the space change in the period of time you've been you've been doing this. Like, what's what's been new, and what do you think? What do you think that's coming that marketers are going to care about
1: in terms of pricing or in terms of
0: features and functionality? Features, functionality, doing the job.
1: Well, you know, it's really interesting. I just did. A, I did, as as you know, I did a, um, some research with the Only Influencers uh, right. Organization. And, you know, it reaffirmed what I know, which is brands care about, you know, what it's like to use the platform itself. You know, they, they, they care about how easy it is, how intuitive it is, mm-hmm. but, you know, they, they don't want easy, they don't want cheap and cheerful. They want complex, but easy.
0: Yeah. You know,
1: they want to be able to do, you know, complex reporting mm-hmm. and business analytics mm-hmm. and segmentation. But they want it to be easy to do, hmm. and 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 I don't blame them. I, of course, they want it to be easy to do. Um, so there is a there has been a disconnect, um, and there and there continues to be because vendors often tend to talk over the heads of the decision makers. Yeah. Uh, at the ESPs, they, they 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 tend to say the things that the CMO and CEO might 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 be interested in, mm-hmm. but they're not involved in any sort of ESP vendor selection process at, at any sort of enterprise company. They're not even near it. Right, right. And the things that matter to so the things that matter, again, to to the the day to day people who are making the decision again, there's no, you know, all of the all of the things that vendors got really excited about. You know, the example I always like to use is, you know, retargeting, display retargeting of email openers. You know, we'll drop a cookie and then when we show up on the Web, we'll give a display ad. Vendors were so excited about that. I brands couldn't have cared less about that because in their minds if somebody opens an email and I want to retarget them, I'll retarget them with another email. Why would I take my budget, put it into display advertising? That's right. another team. Yeah. And you know, that's just one example of how br- if vendors again overshoot their target mm-hmm. and and so you know, your question was what do I see coming down the road? I see you know, you know, improvements in in, you know, one of the things, one, one of the other evolutions I've seen in the course of working RFPs is, you know, ten years ago, nine years ago, ten years ago, we were talking to the email team, and the mobile team was a different team, and the social team was was a different team. Okay. And and now, you know, once the apps became a big thing, the mobile teams were like SMS. No, that's too boring. Here, here, email team. You guys, you, you, you do out. You know. You take care of that, yeah. And so, what I've seen is is that email marketers, and we still, I, I brands still think of them as ESPs. I still think of them as ESPs. Vendors run from that label for reasons I I, I don't quite understand, mm-hmm. um, other than they want to talk over the email people, even though it's still email. But what I've seen is the email teams have become, you know, really the masters of all sort of outbound communication, one to one communications yeah. or one to many communications. Yeah. So they're doing email, they're doing SMS, they're doing push to mobile. Um, and so what 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 they're looking for these days are making that, you know, they, they like all those things to be native in the platform. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if, if they can avoid having a third party integration for some of that, yeah. they like that. Yeah. They want one interface to set up campaigns. They want one interface for reporting. And again, these are bread and butter things, but they're not available in every platform no, they're and not. they're things no. that brands want.
0: Oh, interesting, and and I'm assuming that that they'd like that to be coherent when it comes down to this customer, this customer. You, you should know what you've sent me and what you've sent Chris, right? In terms of communication, don't give me you know 50 different buckets to try to figure that out, so that I can continue to be more effective at that communication.
1: Yeah, I, I, I mean, mean, yeah, and it, yeah, they, again, they want to right? They want to make they want it easy to do the right message to the right person at yeah. the right time. And that's yeah. a cliche, but, but that's, that's what they're looking for. They're not saying, you know, I'm not hearing a lot of gosh, if we could only do this thing that no ESP can do, they're not saying that. They're they it, it It's, it's, making them more effective at what they know they should be doing and need to be doing. Are those, the ESPs that deliver that are the ESPs that are winning these days.
0: Oh, interesting. Okay. Okay. So it's, it's, it's it's ease of use, but not just in the surface sense it's in a prolonged, no, I'm going to live with this. I'm going to live with this set of capabilities and tools to, to do my job over, over X number of years. So it's really got to fit that as well as possible.
1: Yeah. I want a future proof, you know, I want an ESP that's future. proof. Yeah. so part of that it means, so that the, the cool stuff that does come up down the road, I know my ESP is going to be investing and and have make that available, mm-hmm. and that, that I'm not on a platform where investment stopped three years ago when they got acquired by this company, and, <laughs> and we won't mention any names. We won't mention any names. No, no, no. Any, we won't mention any names. But well, we can mention one name, which is Bronto, because yeah,
0: I was going to ask you, know, you about that. Yeah, we got uh, you got thousands of
1: clients on Bronto. Um, uh, that this week learned, and I don't know when this is going to air, but this a, week yeah. being being the first week of March learned yeah. that uh, Oracle is going to sunset the platform in a year. In a year. And, and, you know, they either have to migrate to an Oracle's enterprise platform and, and Bronto's mid-market yeah. or lower mid-market. Um, and so they have the choice, you know, Oracle said you can either migrate to our enterprise platform responses or, or, I, find, guess um, I guess you'll have to go elsewhere. I guess you'll have to go
0: elsewhere. Yeah.
1: You know, and that's a direct result. I mean, you know, Bronto sort of came along with the, Bronto got bought by NetSuite back in, can, I couldn't tell you what year, but, and, and Oracle acquired NetSuite. Right. And Bronto sort of came along for the ride. And what happened is that Branto's investment stopped that day. Yeah. And that was four or five years ago when that acquisition was made. And, you know, and and unfortunately now the Bronto customers are are learning. You know what happens often, yeah. not every time, often when a platform gets acquired, and especially you know, acqui- if it's acquired by a
0: big company with a whole lot of other irons in the fire. Uh, those other irons being more
1: profitable, <laughs> they're well, likely to ignore it. No, that, that's a great point. I mean, right? The the Bronto revenue stream yeah. had to be almost you know imperceptible to Oracle, Oracle. uh, you know, to the management of Oracle and the CFO. I mean, you know, whether that whether that's there or disappeared tomorrow, you know, is is not something that's going to, you know, be hugely noticeable to the company and certainly isn't going to panic Wall Street um, because it just isn't enough revenue for a company like Oracle.
0: Yeah to yeah.
1: care that much about.
0: And, you know, cost of keeping it alive. And by 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 contrast, and you touched on on this when you mentioned Lauren McDonald earlier, by by contrast, you, you've seen acquisitions where it either it, it doesn't work or it looks like it'll be better on its own again. So IBM had acquired Silverpop and then turned around about a decade later, correct? And said, yeah. you're out on your own as Acoustic, bye, see ya.
1: Yeah, right. And you know, you have you have Silverpop clients who literally, you know, have have had where Silverpop they were with Silverpop, then they were with IBM, now they're with Acoustic. And and you know, again, I don't want to single anybody out, so I won't. But I will say, and this is something that I've 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 written about extensively, and 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 so it's not new news to people who, who to those one or two people who read what I what goes on what I post online, is that. None of these acquisitions and and mergers ever have really the customers benefit behind it. They 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 are not done, and the customers rarely do end up benefit. The whoever's on the platform, they rarely benefit from these acquisitions. Um, and, and oftentimes it's the exact opposite. Things get worse for them. And yeah, and so you know you have you have to look at it and say, well, you know, why are these companies doing this? Well, there's you know, and it all comes down to the fact that Martech's really hot. And and good point. There's a there's a boatload, you know, a boatload of money. Uh you know, a, a former uh boss of mine at one point said, you know, Chris, you really ought to get into ad tech. <laughs> you know, you e- email eh, Martech. Eh. Mm. Um glad I didn't Glad listen. you didn't. <laughs> glad didn't. You know who you are. If you're listening, you know who you are, and you gotta Ooh. agree. I was right because I didn't agree with you then, and um you know, there's Martech is hugely for some of the reasons we've discussed. Like you said, your list is an asset. You know, it's permission based yeah. marketing.
0: Yeah.
1: Ad tech was completely dependent of, uh, on, on on violating what are becoming the new privacy law norms. And couldn't have said it better. Yeah.
0: Couldn't the have said ad it
1: better. Tech, the entire ad tech industry is, is on the verge of collapse. And Google this week, again, not sure when this is airing, first week yep. of March. But also, you know when when they stop doing third party cookies, they're not replacing it with anything else that would basically they're not gonna they don't want any any of that type of targeting done throughout their ecosystem.
0: Yeah. Yeah, which uh, I actually I actually did a I don't know if you've read it yet, I, I did a ridiculously long post uh for uh, for OI on the blog about about Apple's shift away from the IDFA identifier or sorry, the requirement for apps to ask permission and then about Google's uh, impending change in terms of cookie handling. And what really strikes me about that, and then we're getting way the heck out of off email, but I'll bring it back in a second. (laughs) Google can afford to do that. Small ad, small ad network X is their host. You shut down the third party cookies on, on Chrome and, and they, they just, they just lost their ability to be accurate. Google's got so darn much data. That they think, judging right. from their announcements, they think they'll be able to be accurate enough to be better without violating that 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 sense of privacy and that one to one thing that the third party cookies enabled.
1: Right? Is
0: yeah. is is email is email and permission going to rise in value in the face
1: of these changes in the ad tech space? I, I think in perceived value. I mean, I, I don't think. And, and maybe it'll get more budget. I mean, it, it, it should, but I mean, it, it's, it's, it's so valuable now. To, it, it, there isn't a lot of headroom for email to, to go up um, in terms, in terms of, of the value it's delivering to brands, you know, that, that do it well. Um, but I, I, you know, in reality, your question was sort of, sort of, you know, w- will, will money go from ad tech to, to CRM and, yeah. and, and, Right. Absolutely. 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 And okay. and I think brands will chase, and I think brands should be chasing. You know, e- I said this. You know, I, I wrote this. I don't know a year or two ago, but I, I said, you know, email subscribers have a funny way of becoming customers. Brands should chase email <laughs> subscribers. Idea. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> brands should be chasing email subscribers because yeah. now you have permission to market to them. And they're going to buy stuff.
0: Yeah, and they're going to and they're going to stick around even if they don't buy stuff this month. If right. you continue to be interesting, relevant, and stay in touch with them, that, you know what? Hey, three months from now, oh yeah, I did want to, and you're the guy I think of. That that slot in their head is very, very, very hard to earn. Yeah, um, yeah, and 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 one of the few ways, one of the best ways to earn it's probably email. I'm just curious what your reaction is though, because it it does strike me as I've as I've talked to uh, lots and lots of folks in the email space that. The the value and valuation of, of email lists and the email programs up here, and at the same time, it always seems like the guys doing that work are overworked, undergunned, underbudgeted, um, low status. Like it's it's a funny conundrum to me that that they seem like the guys shoveling coal down in the
1: Titanic. They're <laughs> certainly not up on the deck. Comments. Well, and I think I think it depends upon the company. I mean, I, you know. I, We've worked with a lot of major brands and the email team is, is, you know, respected and has a big, a lot, lot of influence in the organization. And those are the ones that are successful with email. You know, I think the problem that brands more is, you know, emails marketing is a stepping stone up the marketing ladder in an organization. And so people, you know, we tend on the vendor side to, to, you know, I mean, we've been around for a long time and, and we know what's going on and we know, you know, what, what, you know, the ABCs of email marketing. I think the challenge is that brands are constantly recycling those people. And that's part of the reason why. And, and that may be, you know, something that brands need to rethink and say, you know, it, it maybe it's not a stepping stone, but it's a it, it's an end goal, it, you know. Yeah. you know. Everybody wants to, everybody wants to produce TV commercials. Everybody wants to do that, you know, that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, what's bringing in the bacon? It might be the email marketing. So, yeah. you know, maybe yeah. some brands need to do rethink at least, you know, how they cycle people so quickly through their email marketing. Well, it's also,
0: and I think it's parts of the nature of the, the complexity of the skill set required, but email marketing is not engineering, is not uh, board certified surgery, is not, it, it it's it's very nebulous as a job and career track in terms of what you need to know and what you need to be able to do. People fall backwards into it. They learn it. And then as you said, many of them move on. Certainly, uh, certainly a sector that suffers from uh, too much gray hair and, and not enough youth. Uh, but it's also, where do I go from here? Because it's right. not a really clear track if you don't want to be pounding out, you know, hitting the send button, so to speak uh, at 11 o'clock at night, where do you go from here? And the answer seems to be exit. Don't
1: do it anymore. All too often. Yeah. Or, yeah, or move up the ladder to, to what's perceived as more higher value marketing. Right. Right. And, yeah. and, you know, and, yeah. And I think, that, you know, and but I, th- and I think you said something very, I mean, you know, I still think email marketing the lack of respect it gets is is results in, as you say, a lot of people falling backward into it. I mean, I don't know how many people graduate from college saying, I, don't I want to be an email marketer. Yeah. I, I, you know, I just, you know, there are probably some, God bless you and, and, and you're welcome. We want you in the industry, particularly <laughs> yeah. if you want to be an email marketing. But yeah. a lot of people just sort of end up there because yeah. it's the job they got.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it's also it's also a job with a mix of a requirement for a mix of communication skills, organization skills, and technical skills that that aren't necessarily it's not necessarily an easy mix to find. You know, people who right. have it may end up in the job, but it's tough to go out and headhunt for someone who's got that that diversity. I think uh, of skill sets and mindsets.
1: Yeah, one of the things that made my Axiom team so strong and, and it was a great great team and in fact when zeta bought an uh, axiom impact team that was you know the remnants of my team and, and so some of those people wow. are still are now helping zeta and are still rock stars but what what I found very early on was you know we hired people right out of school mm-hmm. that was the days where it was still in full service where brands didn't really use the tools they sent over the assets Oh wow. and okay, and the ESPs programmed them, cut them up, put them into the platform, did wow, did wow. all the targeting. and we had two roles one role that was very technical that had to know HTML, yeah, and another role that was more technical than I was even, which had to be able to at least use this highly complex tool mm-hmm. um and and able to you know do the segmentation and the targeting and and the pulling the reports and that sort of thing mm-hmm. the people who came up from that, who, who, the people that came up through our organization in, into the higher level client service roles mm-hmm. were were on average way stronger than people we would hire in from outside who hadn't grown up with a tool. And part of the reason is, you know, to your point, I mean, they knew what tools could do, they knew what possibilities were, and and they'd learned enough about email marketing that they could also advise clients mm. as, because as you moved up in my service organization you weren't using the tool anymore, but you know, the smart ones were still using the tool. They, they could pull, they could do a segmentation in a, in a pinch or. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, and they understood how it was done even (laughs) doing it, which is a, that's a very big deal. Yeah. If you're managing a set of folks and you say do X and you don't know how X is ever done, you're not going to make the right ask all the time.
1: You know what? And, And it's, I hadn't thought of this before, but you know, Part of what the industry now is missing is the tools have gotten, platforms have gotten so self-service that the people that I used to hire at Axiom to work the tool that became great client service and email strategists as they moved up, they don't exist at the vendor side anymore because vendors aren't hiring people to run the tools on behalf of their clients. The people that used to come work at Axiom, are now going to work at brands instead. They're using the tools, and as you and I have been saying for the last few minutes, they'll cycle like But they're only doing it for a couple of years, yeah, and now they're lost. Yeah, now, now they're, they're lost. Stuff. Email marketing, hmm. and you know that's probably too bad. Um, yeah, yeah. And that is too bad.
0: Yeah, I mean it. Yeah, but it also it also is what it is. Um, yeah, it is what it is. <laughs> hey, you know it'll that that may be one of the things that takes a shift as as we revisit the. Ad tech, martech, privacy balance over the next um, couple of years. If, if you can get someone who's fantastic at managing that incredible asset that we talked about early on, your email list, um, you know, you you want to keep them. <laughs> In fact, you want to keep them doing that. If if you can, you know, reward them, promote them, whatever it takes to keep them doing that. I'm uh, I'm watching the clock because I've already monopolized almost double the amount of time I asked you to provide. But do you mind doing a speed round with me? Because sure. I think I may have stolen this from you from uh, from from you guys on the on the You might
1: have because we have what we call the lightning
0: round. Lightning round, right? Lightning round think. is different. Okay, here you go. Dogs, cats, both or neither? Dogs. Oh, there you go. Okay. Name uh name a favorite place.
1: Fairhope, Alabama. Fairhope,
0: Alabama. Never been there. Okay. Lunch with any real person, living or dead. Who?
1: Uh uh. Oh. I know it's a speed round. I got to go. Oh my gosh, um, you <laughs> someone more interesting
0: than that? <laughs> I couldn't. I mean, I. I mean, I, I guess. Okay, dead guy.
1: Who for lunch? Winston Churchill. Ooh, like that choice. Like that. And choice. he liked to imbibe, so it would be it would be a you know boozy lunch, which would you, do, you know. Have, have adds you been into
0: the bios of him? Fast? Yeah. Oh, wow. Like he yeah, was quite fascinating a fascinating guy. Not the nicest man in the world at all times, but holy mackerel. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what an eloquent uh, command of the language. My word.
1: And, like, and 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 you know, he I mean, you know, he was he he saw what was coming, both yes, with Nazi Germany and the Soviet yes, Union. Yes, he did, yeah, yeah, better I mean, than anybody else. And, years and, and years ahead of him. him. Yeah. And people, if the people had listened to him, yeah. you know sooner sooner rather than later we could have maybe avoided a lot of pain
0: yeah yeah hey parting question and then we'll continue yeah. after i hang up on everybody here i understand
1: you're a musician yeah but i haven't uh, i i am i am I, I was a music major in fact in college um and history double major uh and um you know played in bands uh uh you know weekend bar bands yeah. you know almost my entire post college life up until Unfortunately, well, not unfortunately. When I got remarried ten years ago, and moved to Chicago, I broke up my last band, and I haven't gotten a new one together here in Chicago. Um, and I probably don't have the time anymore. And, and frankly, uh, as I was telling somebody recently, the I, you know, if if I were in a band or if if I were to start a band now, mm-hmm. I'd want it to be a band that started playing at seven and ended at ten. Uh, <laughs> my setting up at ten at night, yeah. playing until one. And then take it because I'm like, I was a keyboard player. I'm a keyboard player. And I had three keyboard. I mean, it was yeah. it was exhausting after playing yes. for three hours and, and having to tear out down all the equipment. So um, but yes, I'm a piano player and uh, I still love it. I, and I still play, but just not in a band.
0: There you go. Well, thanks. That was a, a, a glad to add that one at the end. Um, I'm going to wrap this up. My guest once, been, once again it has been Chris Merritt president and founder of Email Connect. Chris, thanks so much for making the time. It's a fascinating conversation.
1: I really enjoyed it, Matt. Thanks a lot. Time went very fast.
0: Hi, Dr. Matthew Dunn here. Thank you so much for listening to The Future of Email. If you're an email industry exec or marketer and you're interested in being a guest, please apply at campaigngenius.io slash futureofemail. If this interview was useful for you, please consider sharing it. Grab a screenshot and post it and text it and, of course, email it to your friends. If you know someone who you think would be a good guest, tag them in your post and include the hashtag futureofemail. I really appreciate seeing guest suggestions. It helps us a ton to keep the show interesting. We do put out new episodes and new content fairly regularly. To keep up, I would suggest subscribing. Your sharing, your rating, your reviews are the key to promoting to the show, and they mean a ton to me and to the team here. If you want to know more, go to our website, campaigngenius.io slash futureofemail, or follow me on LinkedIn. Search for Dr. Matthew Dunn. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.